This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. When Eastern Kentucky's App Harvest built its first greenhouse, some called it the future of farming and a way to bring new jobs to coal country. He built the first of those greenhouses in Moorhead, Kentucky in Round County um, in 2020 during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. But what happened next is another story. That story and more coming up this West Virginia morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. Mon Power has settled a case with consumer groups that will affect households that have rooftop solar panels. Curtis Tate has more. Existing customers receive a credit of 11 to 13 cents per kilowatt hour for the power their solar panels send back to the grid, a process known as net energy metering. Mon Power and Potomac Edison proposed to cut that credit in half to 6.6 .6 cents per kilowatt hour. The side settled on a compromise of roughly 9 cents a kilowatt hour. The new credit takes effect on January 1, 2025. Existing customers will still receive the higher credit. The West Virginia Public Service Commission must still approve the settlement. A bill moving through the House of Delegates would protect the higher net metering credit. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. A bill to expand the sale of raw milk passed third reading Monday in the House of Delegates. Randy Yowie has more. House Bill 4911 would remove the restriction that raw milk can only be purchased through an agreement with a dairy farmer. Delegate Amy Summers, a Republican from Taylor County, was among the majority in the chamber favoring the expanded freedom to buy and sell raw milk. My parents and grandparents are rolling over in their graves. They've been farming in West Virginia since the 1700s. And they would not believe that we think you can't, you wouldn't have the choice if you wanted to drink raw milk or not. No one's shoving it down your throat. The debate on the bill centered on a paragraph noting that a person who sells raw milk shall be immune from lawsuits and liability. The bill sponsor noted that it's not a blanket immunity. It protects against accidents, not misconduct. The raw milk bill passed 76 to 19 and goes to the Senate. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is making $81 million available to state and local governments to enhance air quality monitoring. Eligible entities have to apply for the funding from the Inflation Reduction Act by April 8th. The EPA has set aside $2 million to assist low-income and minority communities. The West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection only has 18 air monitors statewide. Citizens can purchase their own air monitors. A bill moving through the legislature would restrict the use of data from citizen air monitors in regulatory or legal proceedings. House Bill 5018 is supported by the state's mining and manufacturing trade associations. The Legislative Auditor's Office has long been a watchdog of the executive branch of government. It makes sure that money is spent properly. But bills in both the House and the Senate are changing the way that auditor operates. Randy Yowie has the story for the legislature today. Two experts on that subject that I have with me today are House Speaker Roger Hanshaw and, and Delegate Mike Pushkin. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thanks for having us on. Uh, Mr. Speaker, let me start with you. Just briefly explain what the Legislative Auditor's Office does, who they report to, and what your bill does to change things. 
Sure, Randy. Well, to starters, it's not our bill, it's a Senate bill, as you just said. But the Legislative Auditor's Office is an entity that exists as a, as a creation of statute here, as you, as you say. But it, it exists to inform the legislature about just exactly what's going on in the primarily the executive branch of government. So how well is the executive branch conforming to the statutory expectations of the programs that the legislature has created? How are state funds being utilized? What are things that could be done that would make programs more effective? What are things we as the legislature could do to effectuate the goals of programs better? And it usually it usually presents itself in the form of, of reports back to the Joint Committee on Government and Finance okay. and the Committee on Post Audits, which we then take as, as recommendations for potential action. So we're not it's not just the governor's office, but all the agencies, all the different agencies that that are to be kept an eye on. All if you will. across the executive branch. Okay. Now, you have a bill, a, a, a companion bill in the House. What changes does that make? So what, what brought about the, the, the bill at all was the, the, the transition that we had when our, our incumbent long-term legislative auditor and legislative manager, Aaron Allred, retired from state government back in December. So Mr. Allred had been serving in two positions at once. He had been serving as both the legislative auditor and what we call the legislative manager, which for, for a number of years had been two separate positions, Aaron, Aaron filled them together and brought them into a, to, to a unified command structure down in that office. So when, when he no longer was in the position, we took the opportunity to ask, does the current structure actually best reflect the practices that we want to see the, uh, the Legislative Auditor's Office perform, and, and how, best can we, how best can we transition that office to meet sort of our 21st century strategy for operation. Delegate Pushkin, you have some concerns here. You put out a, you and the, and the Democrats of West Virginia put out a press release last week that said some of these changes will turn this office from a watchdog to a lapdog. Uh, what do you, what do you okay, base well, that on? First of all, I have the utmost respect for Speaker Hanshaw. I've had the honor of serving uh, with Speaker Hanshaw, and I know that uh, he's an honest guy, and I would never question his motives or his intentions. I believe he's doing what he the best he can to uh, help improve the lives of the people of West Virginia. Um, however, I believe this bill could set a very dangerous precedent. We remove any sort of semblance of, of independence from the legislative auditor's office and put that completely in code under the purview of, of the Speaker and the President of the Senate. Of course, there's no involvement of the either minority leader. Um, I fear that, that a less scrupulous Speaker or Senate President could would have the power to weaponize this office. And while I, this is the way that the office has operated under, under the set of guidelines it has now for, I believe, over 30 years, I'm not exactly sure what the problem is that we're trying to address. That was Delegate Mike Pushkin and House Speaker Roger Hanshaw speaking with Randy Yowie for the legislature today. To hear more of that discussion, visit our website and tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. Becoming mostly sunny today. High temperatures in the 40s and 50s. Clear tonight. Lows in the 20s. Sunny on Wednesday with highs in the 40s and 50s. Chance rain on Thursday with highs again in the 40s and 50s. 
Support for WVPB is provided by Good News Mountaineer Garage, a nonprofit organization accepting donated vehicles to help a West Virginian get on the path to economic independence. More at goodnewsmountaineergarage.com. When Eastern Kentucky Zap Harvest built its first greenhouse in 2020, some called it the future of farming and a way to bring new jobs to coal country. But the company fell nearly as fast as it rose and filed for bankruptcy last year. Austin Gaffney reported in a story for Grist, Inside Appalachia's Mason Adams spoke with Gaffney to learn more. So App Harvest was founded by a Kentuckian named Jonathan Webb in January of 2018, basically saying that in order to revitalize the economy of central Appalachia, um, we needed to bring in more blue collar jobs. And his vision for these blue collar jobs were um, sort of a spattering of 12 giant greenhouses, which uh, grew produce like tomatoes and berries and lettuce indoors. Um, and he built the first of those greenhouses in Moorhead, Kentucky and Round County um, in 2020 during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and then he added four more greenhouses over the next couple of years. App Harvest checked off so many boxes that people talk about when they talk about economic development in Appalachia. They touted decent paying blue collar jobs with benefits for locals building out the local food system, diversifying the economy in a coal-producing region, you know, even leaning, leaning in on private investment as opposed to just grants and public funding. Where did App Harvest go wrong? Based on my reporting, the biggest problem App Harvest seemed to have was that it grew, I feel, too big too fast. So it went through 12 rounds of funding, raised over $800 million in seed and venture capital funding, along with loans from banks and um, national organizations like the USDA. And that was before they built their first greenhouse. They also started planning on going public. So you mentioned private investment. Um, they partnered with basically what is a blank check company for the purpose of joining the stock market. So on top of lenders, they also now had stockholders to contend with to pay back all this money on sort of a low value product, which was tomatoes, lettuce and berries. So by the summer of 2021, before they were open even a year, App Harvest leadership admitted on an investor call that the company was staring down a $32 million net loss. That same day, stocks dropped 29%. And in the following months, the company was facing five different lawsuits alleging securities fraud. Basically, stockholders were saying that leadership had lied about the productivity in the greenhouses and the success of the company. So through these suits, App Harvest leadership was repeatedly cited as blaming employee training, turnover, and, quote, a poor work ethic on the root causes of the company's failures to achieve profitability. So basically, rather than working out the kinks in its first year of operation, App Harvest built five greenhouses while selling a low-value product and blamed its failures in some ways on the laborers that kept the company going. 
So your story for Grist has the headline, a celebrated startup promised Kentuckians green jobs. It gave them a, quote, grueling hell on earth, unquote. There's a lot in the story about how App Harvest tried to cut its labor costs. What was that experience like for workers? The biggest complaints I learned from employees were how the big promises that App Harvest made in its initial couple years failed to match their actual working environment. So when people were hired, especially at the inaugural Moorhead Greenhouse, um, they were deeply excited to join this new company, which had this big mission, which they felt like was contributing to a sustainable future. So some of the employees told me that they would skip down the aisles during their first couple weeks or months of work because they were so excited to be there. But basically, after a few weeks of working from the initial hire in October 2020, workers said they were told they needed to work overtime, including weekends. And one employee said when she complained, her supervisor told her she needed to learn to sacrifice. By the spring and the summer, extreme heat descended into the greenhouse. Former workers reported heat indexes that could reach into the 140s and the 150s, but often hovered in the territory of what the National Weather Service calls extreme danger, which is anything above 126 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's what these employees called a grueling hell on earth. They complained of heat exhaustion, rashes, dehydration, and also dangerous working conditions where glass panels could fall from the greenhouse ceiling or tomato wires could snap. And then this kind of mismanagement or dissatisfaction also bled into the corporate office that was based in Lexington. Former workers told me the leadership team was disorganized and the goals of their positions were not clearly stated. One corporate worker told me they felt like they've been sold a beautiful pipe dream, something that felt sustainable and new and that could make it in Kentucky. But they said it turned out just to be a nightmare. That was Austin Gaffney speaking with Inside Appalachia's Mason Adams. To hear the rest of that story and more, visit our website at wvpublic.org. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Jack Walker, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.